Welcome to Human Rights Live, a series of podcasts produced by the Human Rights Media Center. Your host is Epifani Mokosano. The first season in 2023 consists of four podcasts focused on key challenges affecting the rights and experience of asylum seekers and refugees living in South Africa. We look at positive developments while highlighting obstacles still to be overcome. Episode one, released in South Africa's Human Rights Month, concerns the rights of asylum seekers and refugees in Cape Town because documentation services were closed here by the Department of Home Affairs in 2012. The new refugee reception office in Epping, Cape Town, offers new hope for asylum seekers and refugees. The episode is titled, Making Good Our Commitment to Human Rights. At last, it's happening. I almost shout as I gaze at the large white sign board reading Department of Home Affairs. It's one the morning and we are standing outside the soon-to-be-reopened refugee reception office at 12 Granville Avenue in Epping, an industrial area almost 20 kilometers from the Cape Town CBD. I am Epiphany Mukasano of the Human Rights Media Center, and with my colleague and director, Shirley Gunn, we are attending a stakeholder engagement with the Department of Home Affairs. The Cape Town Refugee Reception Office has been closed since 2012, which means that asylum seekers have for over 10 years had to travel to Pretoria, Rebecca, formerly Port Elizabeth, Mosina or Durban to apply for asylum, as it wasn't possible to apply in Cape Town. Several other services were wound down and reduced as the Cape Town Refugee Reception Office was closed by the Department of Home Affairs. The reopening of this facility is critical because a refugee reception office constitutes the first point of contact for individuals and families seeking asylum with the South African government. And those asylum seekers who ended up in Cape Town will be able to start the application process for the first time in over a decade. Seeking asylum can happen to anyone. Our Refugees Act recognizes that citizens of another country might at some point need asylum because they are not safe in their home country on account of war or siding with an opposition political party or because of racial, ethnic, faith, or gender discrimination. Most times, asylum seekers cross borders to a foreign country, often under very dangerous or difficult circumstances. Philippe, not his real name, is an example. In my home country, I completed my primary and secondary schooling and went on to complete university. 
And when someone receives such an education, it's for the purpose of helping one's country and uplifting yourself and your family. However, in my country, it's not like that. In short, there is a problem of ethnic discrimination. When you happen to belong to a different ethnicity to those in power, they try their best to exclude you. They even lie about crimes that you've committed. That is why the prisons are filled up with people of the same ethnic group, and you find people disappear and others killed. That's what makes people flee the country and seek asylum. In my case, one of these reasons led me to leave the country. By international law, asylum seekers are protected by one of the fundamental principles that they cannot be returned home if their lives would be in danger. And the first thing they need to do when they reach their destination is to apply for documentation. The law in South Africa stipulates a limited period to do so, but this has not been possible in Cape Town since the closure of the office. After we arrived in Cape Town, the first thing I asked other people was how we can be documented. Everyone was telling me a different story. However, someone advised me that I can get assistance at the Cape Town University Refugee Rights Clinic. They gave us a letter of identification in case of an accident, but said we'd have to wait patiently maybe a month or two for those responsible to document us. I kept this letter, but it did not help me or my family members because it was useless when you have to look for a job or to apply to study. I waited for two months to elapse for those who interview asylum seekers to contact us, but nothing happened. I kept on searching for further advice on how to get documented. I asked Shirley to recap the legal role that Democratic South Africa chose to play in relation to asylum seekers. Well, in 1998, South Africa made a commitment to protecting asylum seekers and refugees when the Refugee Act was signed into law by former President Nelson Rolikla Mandela in compliance with international law. This law has been effective since 2000 when the Department of Home Affairs opened the five refugee reception offices across South Africa. In 2010, the Musina Reception Office was established in a bid to cope with the capacity strain in the system. But at the same time, the South African government started to close refugee reception offices across the country. Crown Mines in Johannesburg in 2010, Gabeja in 2011 and Cape Town in 2012. Since then, no new applicants have been able to apply for documentation in Cape Town. In fact, applicants who had registered first in other centres were being required to return to those centres for renewals at their own expense. Some civic organisations involved in monitoring the Refugees Act and processing of asylum seeker and refugee matters took legal action. James Chapman, 
who is the Head of Advocacy and Senior Legal Advisor at the Scalabrini Centre, describes the protracted process. There were a number of cases, including the uh, A and others versus the uh, Director General of Home Affairs, which was uh, followed by the Mbaya case, uh, both of which uh, worked towards ensuring that people who got permits from offices other than Cape Town, uh, but were residing in Cape Town or in, in the surrounds, were able to renew their asylum documents in Cape Town. And so these are some of the challenges that are faced by asylum seekers with the decision to close the office. One of the other impacts of the protracted closure has been that well, you have a number of individuals who, if they don't have means to travel to offices other than the Cape Town uh, Refugee Reception Office, then they end up being in a position of vulnerability undocumented for uh, months, if not years, um, as it's not possible to apply for asylum uh, in Cape Town. When it was announced that the Cape Town Refugee Reception Office would be closed in 2012, a number of NGOs, including the Scalarini Center of Cape Town, the Legal Resources Center, the UST Refugee uh, Rights the Clinic and, and others all came forward to contest and to question the decision to close the Cape Town Refugee Reception Office. There was a series of litigation uh, in the Scalabrini case, the initial Scalabrini case, challenging the closure of the Refugee Reception Office in 2012, followed by another uh, Scalabrini uh, case, also challenging the the further closure decision that took place in 2014, uh, ultimately resulting in the decision of the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, that the Cape Town Refugee Reception Office should uh, and must be uh, reopened and fully functional by 2018. Regrettably, in practice, the Cape Town Refugee Reception Office wasn't open, and so a ap further application was taken to the Western Cape High Court to challenge the, the failing of the department to reopen the refugee reception office. In that process, the strategy taken was to uh, seek and request that a special master was appointed uh, by the court to attend to the administration of the Cape Town refugee reception office and the process towards the reopening of the refugee reception office. What happened in practice was rather um, a deviation to the point at which the uh, High Court judge uh, acted in favor of the uh, putting in place of a case management monitoring process wherein the uh, progress towards a, a reopen and fully functional refugee reception office uh, would be monitored uh, by the court uh, in collaboration with the Scalabrini Center and the Somali Association of South Africa. Um, as the parties uh, towards the reopening, um, and then the, that reporting would have to be done by the Department of Home Affairs Asylum Seeker Management as progress was being made towards the reopening. In addition to legal action, a number of civil society organizations engaged in activism to demand an end to the prolonged closure of refugee reception offices across South Africa after COVID lockdown restrictions were lifted. I asked Shirley to describe the campaign. By October 2021, 
the Human Rights Media Centre, in partnership with the Rwandan refugee community in Cape Town, initiated a signature campaign, which was joined by people from six civil society organisations working with refugees and migrants in the Western Cape. This included Africa Unite, Scalabrini Centre, Whole World Women Association, Sonke Gender Justice, Adonis Musati Project, and PASOP, many of whom do casework. Eventually, the Human Rights Media Centre organised a legal standing demonstrator with campaign partners. It was impressive. A group of 14 asylum seekers and refugees protested with posters in front of Parliament in Cape Town on the 31st of March 2022. They stood silently on a red carpet, holding posters, petitioning the Department of Home Affairs and the Minister to treat them with dignity and to respect their human rights. A memorandum of 3,839 signatures gathered physically and electronically were handed over to the Parliamentary Liaison Officer of Home Affairs, Musi Njoko. The Department of Home Affairs never responded, although the reception offices elsewhere across South Africa reopened on the heels of this protest on the 3rd of May, 2022. This campaign served asylum seekers in other centers, but in Cape Town, many remained, as James Chapman puts it, undocumented and extremely vulnerable. Some of the consequences are that without legal status, one is exposed to increased discrimination, social exclusion at many levels, even deportation. This kind of vulnerability is something that Philippe and his family are familiar with. I met him a few days later at our South River office. He has been trying to apply for asylum for three and a half years, some of which was during COVID lockdown. They remain undocumented by home affairs even after traveling from Cape Town to Pretoria in an attempt to legalize their status. They are asylum seekers from elsewhere in Africa and fled to South Africa in September 2019. He tells me how they have been living in a kind of limbo in Cape Town, restricted from any chance of resuming a normal life. I asked him to share his story of his attempt to get his family documented as asylum seekers. I am among the first that applied because I was in dire need to get documented. We received a response within three days and were asked to apply either at the Pretoria or Messina refugee centers. I chose Pretoria. 
This was not easy for me because traveling from Cape Town to Pretoria requires many resources. And because we are four in a family, I tried my best to find tickets for us all and we traveled to Pretoria. I hoped to find a transit center where my family could stay, but I was very much disappointed when I was informed that everyone has to fend for themselves. So, I had to find accommodation, not an easy task because of my family size. We were required to go to the Department of Home Affairs on a Wednesday. And there we were called at about half past nine to be assisted. I had secured the appointment in my wife's name because I know that in this country, women's rights are prioritized. You had to give your personal details in the application. Now, according to my knowledge of what happens in other countries, one person goes for the interview and the additional member of the family are assigned one file. This is known as family joining. So because I'm married to my wife and have all the necessary documentation to prove this, we decided to do it that way. We presented ourselves at the reception counter. There, we were told that they will only attend to the person who's applied. We tried to explain that we are one family, that they should receive us as a family because we had mentioned that we are a family of four in the application. They persisted in saying that they will only help the person who applied. We were left with no choice but to leave my wife be They took her fingerprints, which took about 20 minutes. When they were done, they told her to go home and come back the next Wednesday. My wife explained how it would be impossible to come back on that Wednesday because we live far from it. I am with my family and we have to go back to Cape Town. We have spent all of our money we have budgeted for on this trip. It is impossible for us to continue living here. Have pity on us and sort us out, she said. They replied, You do not teach us how to do our job. Go and come back next Wednesday. You do not have a choice. I decided that we should go back to where we have been staying and ask for seven more days. Imagine having to do this despite our limited resources and without proper jobs. We had to resort to our friends there to help us stay for the entire week. When we went back to home affairs, my wife was given an interview and by 10 o'clock she was finished. They printed a small paper with some numbers, gave it back to her and asked her to go home and come back the next Wednesday. We were speechless. We reminded them that we had come from far and begged them to finalize everything for us so that we can go back home to Cape Town. Again, we were told that no one teaches them how to do their work. It had become a long story. We begged and pleaded, all in vain. They did not want to hear a word of what we were saying. By then, we had run out of money and even borrowed from some of our friends there. We had told them that once we got the documents, we would hopefully get jobs and pay them back soon. But this made it impossible to stay another week. Therefore, we borrowed more money to be able to travel back to Cape Town and left early the following day. The whole trip at this point had cost us 12,000 Rand. At this stage, four months later, I am still waiting to hear what the South African government decides about opening an office closer by because going back to Pretoria is a nightmare and only my wife will be able to go there anyway. I'm saddened by his story, but I am also angry to hear of the attitudes of the officials and their heartless responses. 
one might be forgiven for thinking that obstructing documentation of new asylum seekers is deliberate. Philip's closing words bring the extent of the issue home to me. And you know, it's not only me, there are many others who are in a similar situation. My tears and those of my families are shared by many others. I too share those tears. But I'm also interested to hear how he feels about applying online. This is how Home Affairs plans to process applications in the future. They make it sound easy and convenient. However, Philip replies, You understand that this has to do with technology, and many of us are not familiar with it. The other thing is that we're struggling to learn the language here. We are not used to the English language because we've not been here for very long. So we had to find someone and pay the person to help us with the application. The person used his phone, you get these phones with the internet. So the person helped us and we paid him. Philip's story tells me that South Africa is failing in addressing our human rights targets for Cape Town-based asylum seekers. And even when at great personal expense and sacrifice, the applicants make their way to a refugee reception office elsewhere in South Africa, they are met by an obstructive application processing system and personal disrespect from those who should be serving them at the Department of Home Affairs. We started out describing our visit to the new refugee reception office in Epping. This industrial warehouse has been converted into a state-of-the-art refugee reception center. So it's a significant milestone in the struggle towards realizing the basic human rights of asylum seekers and refugees who wish to apply for documentation from Cape Town. We were taken on a guided tour of the facility which has been set up both to document and process asylum seeker and refugee requirements as well as to process South African citizen applications for identity documents and passports. This feels positive as it addresses the issue of greater integration of asylum seekers and South Africans. In the building, we were shown a covered waiting area, space for food stalls, facilities to have photographs taken, a number of refugee status determination offices, and areas for various processes in the documentation process. The building is monitored by multiple cameras and ominously, there are two holding cells, one for males and one for females. We were also afforded a question and answer session during the stakeholder engagement, and James Chapman asked Mandela Madumisa when new asylum seekers can expect to get attention at the center. Mandela is chief director responsible for asylum seekers and refugees in the Department of Home Affairs. Newcomers were said 
we would communicate the date of taking the newcomers once the formalities are done. I think of Philip and his anguish, how he would feel as he hears that he still has to wait longer to apply at the new refugee reception office. That to be decided by the staff training and on the official opening of the building that will be determined by the minister. I ask Shirley how she sees the progress on the new refugee reception office facility. Yes, I agree that the new refugee reception office is a positive achievement. And it's a step by the Department of Home Affairs towards reinstating the human rights of asylum seekers. But yesterday, we heard reports of the system being offline and people being told to come back again tomorrow. To date, the impact on the asylum seekers who reside in Cape Town has been severe. The right to apply for asylum has been repeatedly delayed for over a decade. Impediments have been repeatedly thrown in their way, leaving them vulnerable. It has increased their social exclusion and fueled the narrative of illegality, which is often used to fuel xenophobia. And yet, the new refugee reception office is soon to open officially, and we are told that new applicants will be accepted in the next few months, so the situation is starting to look hopeful, yet we must continue to monitor progress to record when documentation of new asylum seekers begins and how quickly they are processed through the system. And we also need to keep tabs on whether officials treat applicants with respect and dignity. I wonder whether humane treatment of asylum seekers is part of the training officials are receiving, as it definitely should be. You've been listening to the first episode of Human Rights Live, produced by the Human Rights Media Centre. Join us for our second podcast planned for World Refugee Day in June. We would like to thank the contributors of this podcast, our production team and the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, who have made this series possible.